Hey, what's up, everyone? Good morning, and welcome to Resurrection City Church. My name is Joel, and I'm one of the pastors here at Res City. You met the other pastor earlier, Julie, uh, my wife. Uh, if it's your first time visiting with us this morning, uh, I just want to say welcome and offer you a special welcome. Thank you for being here with us this Sunday morning. I also want to say Happy New Year to everyone. I hope you had a chance to celebrate the new year, and that as you as we move into 2021, that you are feeling excited about it. It's hard not to feel excited about moving Moving into 2021, um, it can't be worse than this last year was, of course. Um, but uh, I, I, I hope that you actually feel that and you're excited about it, and um, you are you were able to enjoy the uh, the holiday. Uh, we are going to today talk about the idea of leadership. You saw the title slide for it, um, and there is a good reason for that. We are going to be, uh, and this is exciting news, we are going to be installing our first leadership team here at Resurrection City Church. It's been something we've been planning to do ever since we started. Um, we wanted to kind of take the appropriate amount of time to get there to uh, put that group together, but we are ready to do that now. And if you're on our, our um, Res City email list, our weekly update, uh, you saw this a couple weeks ago, we announced it and we mentioned the, the people who were planning to install in that team. Uh, those people are Krista Schroeder, Miles Trump, Brett Ripley, myself, and Julie. And so um, we are excited about that, but we want you to be able to engage in that process as well. So if you saw that email a few weeks ago, uh, there's some uh, ways for you to be a part of that process. And we, our plan is to be uh, uh, um, putting this team together and ins- installing it officially at our annual meeting on January 26th. So be looking for more information on that. Um, but as we moved into this uh, uh, into this new season of Resurrection City where we install this leadership team, we thought it would be good to just take a Sunday and talk about what does what is what do we value in terms of Christian leadership? What, what do we what is our view of what Christian leadership even is? What does that what does that role look like within a church? We thought it would be good to kind of talk about that and give a sense for for what we're looking for with that. So so that's. Today, what we're going to talk about, Christian leadership according to what we think the calling of the Bible is for Christian leaders and what you should expect from Christian, Christian leaders um, in any church setting. Now, because this is a really important topic, we actually thought it would be cool to bring back the question and answer time that we've been doing as a church uh, that we were doing in the spring when we were meeting online only like this. So if you have a question about anything that I bring up in the sermon today, go ahead and throw it in the comments, and if we uh, have a chance at the end, we'll get to it. Um, and I'll try, I'll do my best to answer it uh, on the fly. But we thought that would be cool to, to bring that back for this week only. So let's talk a little bit about leadership today. Now, leadership is kind of a, a tough thing today. Um, the di- distrust of leadership, I think, is maybe at an all-time high. I think a lot of people have a sort of cynical, skeptical view of it, and uh, that that leaders just want power. Maybe that their tr- any truth claim they make is just a power grab, uh, very Nietzschean um, uh, understanding of of power. And so, a lot of times, people think, "I don't need a leader. I will lead myself. I'll kind of turn inwards." Now, we've talked about this before uh, in Red City. We did a sermon uh, this summer on good shepherding in the church um, and talked about Jesus as the good shepherd. But one of the things we kind of talked about in that sermon is just 
uh, you know, that's a bit of a deception that we can just lead ourselves. The truth is that we're influenced by all sorts of people, uh, people all, all, all around us. Even if you have the mindset that I'm not going to be led by anyone else, I'm going to kind of carve out my own path, the, ch- the chances are that you probably heard that from someone who influenced you towards it, who has, you've given a, a measure of leadership over you, a measure of influence over you. So the, the, the fact is we are all led, we are all influenced by by people around us and especially people we see as as leaders in a sense and so what's changed I think is not so much that we've really said we're not going to be led by anyone or influenced but really by where we go for it and and Max Max Weber the the sort of famous sociologist he talked about three different types of leadership Uh, first of all there's legal uh, leadership and that's just leadership that's sort of backed by law that kind of you have to follow it because the law is behind it so that would be the government the courts um, police and, and and for sure I think that there's a there, you know, we, we have to follow that, but there's not always trust for those people necessarily today. Uh, the second is, is what's called traditional leadership, and that's really tied to institutions. So these are, uh, you know, the, the church, government, media, different institutions in a society that have sort of authority or power that people sort of give to it because of it, of it being an institution. And also, like, trust of that type of leadership is, is on a, in a rapid decline right now. Um, in all different places, people are feeling the effects of that. And you can find a lot of polling that shows that trust in institutions and their leaders is on the decline. Now, the third type of leadership that Max Weber talks about, I think this type of leadership is really thriving in this world right now, especially in a networked world where we connect to each other through platforms of, of, of connection like social media or um, videos or or uh, um, whatever it is that we can find leadership in these places. And that is called charismatic leadership. That's a leader who you give uh, your, you allow to influence you, you allow to lead you you because they have a charisma about them. They have a, a sense of authority. They, they have maybe a knowledge that they possess, um, something they say you like, and so you want to follow them. Now, that type of leader is really at an all-time high. Uh, and, and all of these types of leadership, I think, are good. It is okay f- for all of these to, to influence us. Um, but when we talk about leadership in the church, uh, we're talking about leadership that's tied kind of to an institution, but I think more than that, we're, t- we're talking about leadership that's tied to a family, to a community of people. Uh, and, and the people within it are incredibly important because of who they are and what God's plan for them is. So where I want to start today as I talk about Christian leadership is is is, is you. I want to talk about the, the, the people in the church and God's plan for them because what God's plan for each and every one of us who who follow Jesus, who have who are in Christ is, is essential to what Christian leadership is supposed to be. So I think in order to understand it, we have to start there. So let, let me let me start in what, what's a really famous verse. A lot of people know this verse. A lot of people take this verse as maybe a, a life verse or a promise. It's a verse that they fall back onto on hard times. And that's Romans 8, 28. And this is the Apostle Paul talking. He says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So yes, God has a good plan for you. That is a part of what salvation is all about, is you fitting into the salvation story and God having a plan for your good, to work together all things for your good. 
Now, what does that mean, though? What, what does it actually mean that God is working together all things for our good? What is Paul's intent when he says that? I think there's a temptation to read that verse and to assume good is just kind of whatever we want, just sort of some happy outcome for us, and we ex- we, we believe or expect that whatever we're looking for, whatever we think a happy outcome is in any situation, that's what God is going to give to us. Um, it, maybe it's a hope for end to troubles that we're experiencing. Maybe it's a guarantee of health and wealth. Maybe it ensures that we get the dream job or the dream guy or girl that we're hoping to end up with, the the the, the, the fancy life that we all want to have, um, uh, you know, that we all assume that we'll have as part of the American dream, that God just wants us to be happy and give us that stuff. But actually, Paul gives us a, a, a definition or the design for God's good purpose in the next verse. So let's, let's read it. Verses 29 and 30. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. So th- th- this may- maybe this is a surprise to some people, but if you read your Bible uh, often, for people who are kind of uh, astute Bible readers, this won't surprise you at all. There's nothing in here about the American dream, about our happiness, our success, any of that stuff. That's not necessarily what Paul's talking about when he talks about all things working together for our good. The Bible actually says very little about that at, at the end of the day, that God is making, you know, working to make us happy and everything. Okay, but the good purpose that God is working towards is something called conformity to the image of Christ. And that's an essentially important part of what it means to be a Christian, is that we are being conformed to the image of Christ. This is the design, this is the goal of salvation, the life of following Jesus, is that we are becoming more and more and more like him the more and more we follow him. All right, it means being made in the image of the ideal human one, Jesus himself, conformed to his image. And actually, there's a resonance back to the, the Genesis story here, uh, where humanity is created in the image of God. But at the fall, that image is sort of sort of fractured. It, we, we are not living it out fully as we are supposed to because of our fall into sin. And so what happens is Christ comes, Christ comes as as God himself, but also as the ideal human one. And as we are conformed to his image, we are being restored fully back to that image of God that is in each and every one of us, but in its fullness, no longer fractured or, or maligned or ruined because of sin. And, and so, so maybe you've heard of the term sanctification before. This is another word for that. We are being made more and more uh, into what God is calling us to be. Our growth from our old life and this journey towards the new self that will be finally and fully revealed when Jesus himself returns to establish his kingdom on earth. And we dwell with him in our resurrected bodies, in, in joy and in happiness and in peace. So there's this lifelong process of learning this new way to live, of, of dying away, sometimes uncomfortably, to our old self, uh, our flesh, that is being replaced with this new person, this new identity in Christ. Now that can happen in success as we learn to manage it well, as we learn to remain humble, as we remain generous and and serving God within that success. It can also come in suffering, whether that is in patience, endurance, in, in contentment and hope. 
Either way, God is working to make sure we are more and more like Christ. That is his ultimate good goal for us. And so God is basically guaranteeing that no matter what does happen to us in our lives, it will contribute to his plan to conform us to Christ's image because that's our greatest good. That is the greatest good for us to become more and more like Christ no matter what, what our lives look like. Now, the thing is that this can't happen on its own. It can't just be you and Jesus, you at home reading your Bible by yourself, listening to your favorite pastor who lives in another state, um, you just kind of managing all this on your own. God actually gives us two things to help us to attain to this conformity to the image of Christ. And those two things are community and leadership. So first of all, the idea of community and how that contributes to our growth. Um, is, is the, the church sort of forms this family. Remember in, in the passage I just read, it talks about how Christ is uh, the, the, the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. We are a family. Christ is our big brother, and we are following him in this sort of family setting. And the, the goal is to grow in the family unit. And so while we can gain some knowledge and, and some virtue, some growth on our own, we can't do it fully without our brothers and sisters, without this family that we have been called into. We need to practice it with each other and with other with other others who are, are learning to live this out in a local community setting. That's what the church is supposed to be, is this local community of family that we are gathered into, that we are stitched into, we are, we are woven into. Even if we're not genetically brothers and sisters, we are brothers and sisters in Christ, and that defines who we are, and we live within that family setting. So think of it like like a basket like basketball. Let's say that you are you want to be LeBron James. You want to be be Sabrina Ionescu. You want to be a really good basketball player. You can go to the gym by yourself. You can shoot. You can dribble. You can dunk in this empty gym. You can get some cones up. You can watch videos with techniques and you can study them. You can do all that stuff. But none of those things are in their fullness simulating a real game of basketball. You're not developing skills that work in a real basketball game. You're developing some skills, but not full amount of skills, right? There, there's no one that's trying to block your shot. You're not having to, to uh, kind of navigate through a crowd as you dribble, to have other people trying to not, you know, uh, steal the ball away from you. Uh, no one is playing defense against you. No one's trying to block a dunk that you might go up for. There's no assessment by comparison with other players around you. And you're not even practicing certain skills that that take place in a real basketball game. You're not practicing passing to other people. You're not learning a mindset that of a team victory. Uh, you're not even learning to play defense. You can't play defense when it's just you. So there's all these parts of a, a real game of basketball that you can't practice on your own. Now, the, I think that the same is true for us as Christians. We need community in order to practice everything that comes with, 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 with growing into the image of Christ, okay? It's not that individual uh, growth doesn't happen on your own. It, 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 I'm not saying that reading the Bible on your own. I'm not saying that, that prayer by yourself or meditation or, or fasting or some of these different practices that you can do on your own don't do anything. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that in order to experience full growth, you have to be doing it within a community. 
Um, you aren't going to learn patience if you're not around people who irk you. You're not going to learn to love people unless you're around people who are actually difficult to love sometimes. You can't learn from and grow around other people without doing these things, without practicing, without setting habits or virtues or having people model what it looks like for you to grow in fullness. And so these things that we value, Christ-like love, tolerance, patience, discernment, wisdom, self-control, peace, all of this, these things, they're not just sentiments that we try to put on that make us feel right, righteous. We have to be with people in order to, to have those things grow, in order to be able to practice those things. And that's why we need the community of faith in order to grow in fullness, into conformity with, with Christ-likeness. Christ himself did not stay removed from us. He came and showed us who he was by interacting with other people. And in order to, for us to follow him, we have to be around other people too. So that's why we need this community, this community of people that we're actually around, we're interacting with on a daily basis, on a regular basis, in order to experience the sort of full maturity and growth into, the con- into conformity with the image of Christ. But we also, in these local communities, need leadership. This is where leadership comes in into this sort of local community that we're, we're called to to grow into the image of Christ more. like Just like a, a basketball team needs coaches who are setting direction, strategy, who are motivating people, who are setting vision, who are establishing a culture that, that they want people, everybody to sort of be buying into that's going to cause them to be the best basketball players they can possibly be, the, the church needs people setting those same things. And the head coach of the team is Jesus. And, and, and ministry leaders, whether it's pastors, whether it's uh, people in leadership teams, whether it's, it's volunteer leaders even, these are like assistant coaches that are helping uh, the head coach out who are participating with the head coach in this goal of, uh, of winning basketball games, of creating the best basketball team possible. And Scott McKnight, he's an author who's written a lot on leadership, Christian leadership, and he he says th- this, and I think this this sums up what ministry leadership is so perfectly. He says, ministry is participating in God's work of transforming the community of faith until it is blameless at the coming of Christ. That's a good summation of everything we've said so far, is, is ministry participates with God to transform the community of faith to be blameless at the coming of Christ, setting a sort of culture of Christoformity, Christo, uh, Christo growth, Christ-like growth. That's the, the goal of ministry and leadership. So what I want to do for the rest of the sermon here is I want to talk about four ways that leaders participate with God in, in, in this mission. All right, and then what we'll do is we'll close the sermon out with uh, community or w- with leadership failure. And then I'd love for you to ask, you know, throw some questions in there. And like I said, we'll get to them at the end. That's kind of where we'll go here for the rest of the sermon today. So those four things, they, they make an acronym. I've been trying to be more consistent with acronyms lately so people remember them. So the, the, the leaders participate with, with God by DOME, D-O-M-E, by making a dome around you or something. I don't care how you, <laughs> you think about it. Uh, DOME, developing, organizing, modeling, and educating. So let's, let's, let's get into those. The first one, starting out here with developing. Now, I could have used another D word here, discipling. I think it's the same idea um, as developing here, but, uh, but 
conformity to, to the image of Christ, it's a process. It's a, it's a development. There are steps that you take. There are benchmarks you're, you're, you're jumping f- uh, towards. There is, there is actual growth that's happening. You're, you're starting in point A, and you're trying to get to point B. All right? So good leaders have this understanding that their job is to be developing and equipping people to help them to get from that place that they're, that they're first meeting Christ in to as close to being blameless and in the full image of Christ as they can possibly get in this life. It's not going to be complete in this life. Good, uh, good leaders know that and they have grace and understanding for that, but they're trying to get us all there as best they can. That means that they know people, that they challenge people, that they give feedback, and that they have an idea for what you could be and are trying to help you to get there. It means coaching people. Really, to go back to that basketball analogy, it means coaching people in the, in the purest sense. You can't grow without feedback, without a mirror, without someone on the outside who's kind of giving you feedback, telling you what you actually look like and how you can get to that next place. A good coach sees what a player can be, not just where they're currently at, and they're trying to help people get there. So a good Christian leader sees you not as an asset to their brand, as a like on Instagram, as just a tithing entity to help them to look the part maybe, uh, as a follower to sort of help them boost the, this brand that they're trying to, uh, to project out there. And they don't also view you as a hindrance, as, as a thorn in their side that they just need to punish someone who's there to torment them. I think some leaders view the people that they are leading that way, uh, unfortunately. A good leader does not view the people that they lead like that. They don't view them as, a, as the people they lead as a distraction from the real stuff of leadership that they want to do, whether it's writing or speaking or making content, going on podcasts, whatever that is. That is not the goal of leadership. It is to develop people. And so a good leader will see you as someone that Jesus has won with his own blood and that he is now developing into a saint. And it is their goal to participate with Jesus in that process, to see you as having that same value that Jesus did when he was willing to shed his blood for you in order to make you like him. All right, so the second thing that I want to talk about today is organizing. All right. So in in the early church, uh, we see examples of this actually right off the bat. You you saw people that were gathering together as a church and forming this family that I'm talking about. And and literally what that meant was sharing food and resources in common with one another, forming this like this actual other community, this kind of almost new city within the city that they were in. And many of these people were poor, so they needed the help of the people around them in order to help them to, to live. They were sharing these resources. Some of them were widows. And, and there was not always enough food. You had to be, you know, you wanted to be strategic and making sure that everybody was getting enough food. And actually, in the early church, in, in the book of Acts, in chapter 6, we find that some people were missing out. And so what they did is they came to the leaders and said, hey, we are having a, uh, we, we're having a, a sort of disconnect here between the, the purpose of what we're trying to accomplish here, of, of making sure we live as this family in Christ, and actually making it you know, manifest. Some people are not getting fed. Some people are getting to be first in line each, each day, and, and others are going without food. And so the leaders of the church formed this group of people called the deacons to make sure that everybody was getting fed. And this is what they had to say. It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. 
Brother and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. So what they did was they said, let's put some some people in place who are going to be thinking just about the sort of organizing of our mission here. We'll divide up the um, tasks of leadership amongst ourselves based off of what our calling is, and some people will be involved with making sure the ministry is actually taking place, while some of us can focus on preaching and prayer and, and a ministry of the word, sort of or teaching people uh, about what, what, the story, what it, it's like to live in the story of the gospel. And so we see this start of this organizing in the early church from the very beginning. And the church today needs the same sort of, of, of things going on. We need people who are strategic, who are entrepreneurial, who are systems-oriented. We, we need people who are, who are helping us to, to, as an organization to meet our goal, both individually and corporately. We have to have people who are uh, stewarding our resources well, wisely using them. Uh, making sure that, that, that some people aren't going unfed, whatever that looks like in our context. We have to make sure that we're properly measuring our success and effectiveness. We have to make plans. We have to think about the future. We have to set goals. We have to take stock of what's going on in the world around us and ask, how can we take the whole church, knowing what the society is like towards Christ and Christ-likeness, all right? It means separating up the labor into gifts and skills and callings. And so at Res City, we try to do this too. We have a whole team that's sort of dedicated to thinking about how we're stewarding what God has given us well, our governance team. And that's been operating since before we were officially a church. And and, and I, I, that team is so fantastic. Um, so w- w- we really have a lot of value for this as well as a church. I think in our... There's kind of two tendencies around this. Sometimes it's to think all leadership is just this stuff. It's just, it's just managing. Um, and and I, you know, a lot of leadership books are about this type of stuff. So we think this is what leadership is. And then you get the pendulum swung the other way that says this is no, none of that stuff is leadership. It's just preaching. It's just teaching. It's just study. It's just counseling and being with people one on one. The reality is, it's it's one part of the whole. All of that stuff is a part of what it means to be a good good, wise Christian leadership in a a local community setting. And so we think it's important that we have that taking place at Rest City too. All right, let's move on to modeling. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Now, Paul recognizes that he's been chosen to lead people to Christ. He, He knows that's his job. And he knows that one of the primary ways in which that happens is just by him following Jesus himself and inviting people to join him in that, to, to model that to people. So he, he's taking stock of a fundamental thing that, that we, we also recognize today in, in, our, in our modern world through uh, study is, is that, and research is that we learn by imitation. We learn by copying people around us. Um, and, and that's a, a major part of our development. Just just think about it. Think about whatever field that you're in right now or whatever field you'd like to get to someday. Somewhere in that development, I imagine there was some role model that you pictured and you said, I want to be like that person. And you probably ended up more like that person than you ever realized. You, you maybe took certain things, you know, phrases that that person said, different principles or strategies that that person used and you've applied it to your own life. 
maybe some of it consciously, but I bet you a lot of it happened subconsciously. You didn't realize it, but you were becoming more and more like that person that that you 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 viewed as a role model than you realized. And that's not a bad thing. That's just how we're wired. And when we take stock of that, when, when we understand what's that, that that's taking place, we can actually harness that power for, for a lot of good by having the right leaders in place in a community who people are going to naturally see and want to follow. So it, it's really important because the people you set up as leaders in your community will be modeled, whether you like it or not. So you want to be strategic and thoughtful about who is being modeled in a community. All right. So, so that is an important part of leadership is, is, is that you're following people who are following Christ and who you are seeing uh, respond to the gospel, live the gospel out themselves in this journey towards uh, becoming more and more Christ-like, who are worthy of being emulated. That's what we want in leadership. So at Res City, we want leadership that's intentional to follow Christ, knowing that what is seen from people will be given honor and copied, even unknowingly. Now, how do lead- leaders be intentional in what they model? I want to talk to you about something called presencing here. And Margaret Whip um, has uh, something I think that is really helpful to say about this. She says, pastoral care requires availability being there for and with the other in the steadfast imminence of covenant love is itself a presencing of the gospel, a tangible expression of the immediacy of God's love and the nearness of his grace. Through the extended ministry of the incarnation, which Christ has entrusted to his church. So leaders model presence. Leadership knows who it's presencing. I love that verb, uh, a presencing of Christ himself. Good leadership understands that it's representative not just of itself, but of Christ and the gospel. It's, it's always aware of that, that people are seeing it and that it's presencing that. Or it's supposed to be presencing that at least. And so it shows the love of Christ in how it acts, in its postures, its dispositions, and how it views the people that it's, it's being around. It embodies the grace of the gospel almost as, a, as their life is like a parable in a sense. And it really looks like Jesus did when he uh, was on earth, when he did his ministry on earth. And it becomes sort of a proxy for it. Now, this is hard work, but it's essential work for leadership to be getting into the nitty-gritty of the community and actually modeling and presencing Jesus himself to the people around it. When that element is missing from Christian leadership, the whole community really, really suffers because that is what Christ-likeness is at its core, is, is being like Jesus, being around people who can be hard to love, who can be challenges to love, who, 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 who require hard but necessary work. That is what it means to presence the gospel. No offense, but we are all hard to love, all right? That includes you watching this. You can be hard to love sometimes, all right? We all have parts of us that are, are difficult uh, for, for people to be around at times. And if you're, if you're married, you know that. If you have close friends, you know that. Um, like, and, and, and that requires for, for the people that you're around to ha- presence Jesus and for you to presence Jesus back to them. And good leadership is going to model that. So everybody is trying to live that out as much as possible. All right, last thing here is educating. So Romans 12.2, Paul says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. 
Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Now, Paul and God, they want us all to be conformed to Christ-likeness in everything, which includes in how we think about what's going on around us. In the terms of the patterns in which we think about things, we're, we're called to think about it in a Christ-like way as well. That's what Paul's saying here. And so um, we need people around us who are going to teach us to think in that way, who are going to help us to know what it means to live in the gospel story, um, what it means to, to, to live in the story of scripture and, and to live that out in our everyday lives uh, is to be taught to think. And that's something that's true of every child, right? We, we want children to grow up to be taught to think about the world around them uh, in, in a mature way, in a thoughtful way. That's an essential part of maturing. And it's this, the same is true for, for Christians, is, is that we are taught to think in a way that follows the contours and the patterns of the gospel, that, 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 that leads us towards worship of Jesus and not worship of something else. Because the world around us is trying to conform our thinking as well. And when we enter the gospel story, we enter as, as resisting it, as hostile towards it, as, as uh, loving something else, as, as worshiping a different king than the one that we are called to love and worship. And so we need to learn to think in new patterns, to have new habits of thought that are gospel, that are, that are living in that gospel story that are Christ-like. And so what we need is we need people who are uh, able to study and preach and teach God's words, who are, who are skilled in that, to help us to think, to help us to navigate, to help us to learn what, what it even means to, what, what is conformity towards Christ-like, what does that even mean? What, what, what does it mean to be Christ-like? We need teachers to help us to learn that. And at Rest City, we take that super seriously. That's the whole reason we did the politics sermon series earlier, earlier this year, is to try to help people to think about what's going on around them and how do I take all of the stuff that is coming in at me, that it, I'm being pulled and pushed to think about in a certain way and think about in a way that honors our King, Jesus, that, that is that, that takes information in and processes it in a way that is conformed to Christ-likeness and not conformed towards the pattern of something else. We take that super seriously, and we think that that's a really important part of what it means to be conformed towards Christ-likeness, and we think it starts with leadership. We, we all do it. We all help each other to do this, but it starts with the leadership, um, teaching that from, from the top. So th- those are the, the things that and I could have said more, I think, today, but those are kind of the, some of the four essential things that I think make up our view of Christian leadership. So I hope that was helpful to you to understand what it is we mean when we think about leadership and what we're looking for and what we're trying to in, install and develop people towards as we call them into leadership at Res City, whatever that looks like, whether that's in a staff position whether that's in uh, a leadership team position, whether it's in a governance team position, whether it's leading community groups or leading uh, certain teams on Sunday mornings, ki- uh, uh, our, our, our kids ministry team, our AV team, our worship team, whatever it is, these are the things we're, we, we want our leaders to embody at Rest City. So I hope that that's helpful for you. Now, when we talk about leadership, it's hard for us to approach the subject without without talking about what happens when leadership fails. This is an unfortunate reality of 
the world we live in, and certainly of the church, that is kind of unavoidable. And there's high-profile uh, cases of this that have come out recently. There are high-profile cases uh, that have come out not recently. Like, it's not hard to find examples of leadership failure in the church. And maybe you yourself have experienced poor, harmful um, leadership in a church setting. And so that's a reason why maybe you, you sometimes aren't excited about the idea of Christian leadership. Um, and if that's you, first of all, I just want to acknowledge your experience and tell you that, yeah, this happens and um, it sucks when it does. And it's sad and it's not the way it's designed to be. Um, and I think we should all not be surprised when it happens um, and for some reasons that we'll get to here in just a second. But uh, not that we should expect it, but we shouldn't be surprised when we see it because it is a part of, of uh, the nature of leadership. And, and the hard part is, is that for all the positive impact that leadership has, when it fails, it has a really negative impact because all of the um, power that leaders have to influence towards good things works the other way to hurt people because people open themselves up to leaders. They're vulnerable to leaders. And so when that happens and a leadership abu- a leader abuses that trust, people can get really hurt. So this is important that we have a good understanding of it and that we talk about it. And so I wanted to end the sermon today by talking just a little bit about how we should think about that and what we do if we experience it. Um, there is, I think, a few different things that can help us to think through if we experience leadership failure, um, how, how we might process through that, and how that might fit into what God is doing as well. Now, the first thing, I think, is to call leaders to a higher standard than they sometimes are called to uh, in the world today. And that, that means expecting more of them than just that they're celebrities, right? Just that they are, uh, you know, influencers who show us a great lifestyle or something like that. It, call leaders to something more than that. Uh, good leaders are going to be committed to the task that they're called to. They're going to be called towards developing the community and the individuals in it towards this sort of culture of, of, of growing more towards the image of Christ. That's their task. And so what they're doing is going to be for that. It's going to be for you. When leaders aren't doing that, it's a lot easier for them to hurt people. And I think it's not helpful because we have, uh, I think there are some views out there of what leadership and uh, Christian leadership looks like that are, that's not just that, just to be honest, that's not the goal of it. And people can get hurt when leaders are not taking their task seriously. Um, I like to read old books, you know, I quote old people a lot of times. And um, something that has been really helpful for me is going back and reading how some earlier people in the church have viewed uh, leadership. And and two people who I've been really influenced by and and I think have been helpful for me to to read as they talk about what it means to be a pastor or a leader in the church are uh, John Chrysostom and Gregory of Nazianzus, two two guys who were living uh, back around the 300s in the eastern part of the Roman Empire. They um, and, and I think the, the biggest thing that struck me as I read through them was their awareness of the reality of leadership and how high of a calling it is and how much it can hurt people and, and the consequences it can have for its failure. They had a real healthy fear of the task that I don't think a lot of pastors or leaders have today. This, this sort of understanding that, that people people's lives and their well-being are like in the balance because they're leading them. Uh, the, the consequences of that are so great that 
that they, they actually, <laughs> they both had similar stories that when they were approached about leading in the church, they both actually ran away. Like they, they literally went and hid so that they would not be installed as leaders. So, so great was their fear uh, uh, of messing up this task and the consequences of it that they literally didn't want it when they were approached about it. They saw themselves as no better than the people that they led. And that's the second thing I want to talk about here today is, is show leaders grace. Show an understanding for, for who these people are. While you're calling them to a high standard, also understand that they're still people just like you. And, and Gregory uh, says this, and N.T. Wright uh, says something also similar uh, to it that I think are helpful in understanding who, what good leaders are, but also who they still are. Gregory says this, we undertake to heal others while we ourselves are full of sores. And N.T. Wright says, it is the wounded surgeon who plies the steel, plies the knife most successfully. What they're saying is, is the leaders who are put above us by God in his church are people who are themselves filled and on the same journey, filled with the same flesh, the same old self that is still in them and are on the same journey that all of us are. And so, like, that means that they're going to fail. That means they're going to mess up. That means they're not going to be perfect. Now, sometimes the failure is small and it's easy to excuse or forgive. Sometimes it's really great. Sometimes it, it is really harmful. And those two situations can be should be approached differently. Um, just because they're both sin, they're both mistakes, doesn't mean we necessarily always treat them the same. Sometimes really great leadership failure means that uh, leadership in that community is no longer possible. So, you know, we, we want to value uh, redemption and restoration and reconciliation, but sometimes a healthy version of that means that leader is not back in leadership again, at least not in the community that community that they're in. Ongoing hurt or harm could still be taking place there. Um, but 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 it's a good reminder that that the leaders that are put over us are filled with the same um, same sin that is in all of us. That's actually what makes leaders like good is that they understand they should understand what is common to all of us it's going to make them a better surgeon a better doctor if they've had the same experience that you have for those of you who have been to doctors before you know that sometimes you get doctors who are not that helpful like they kind of talk about you like you are just a um something in a book right just just something that they're there to fix a problem to fix and then you get other doctors who truly seem to understand what you're going through. And as they go about giving you care, you can tell that they understand what you're feeling, what you're thinking, what you're going through, almost as if they've gone through it themselves. And a good leader is like that. They understand that. That means, though, that they're filled with some of the same stuff you are. So if you're wondering if you've experienced leadership failure, if you're looking back on the, the person who failed and saying, um, did anything that person say, can I take any of it f- for real? Uh, you know, was it all tainted by what later came out? Um, the answer, I think, is is no. I think if you experience growth and good, uh, had a good experience with a leader who later on had some sort of failure, don't dismiss all the good stuff that happened with them, uh, with you following them. Because God was working through a broken person to accomplish his task. And it's a good reminder about the participation that all people, ha- uh, that all people in leadership are doing with God himself. And that's our last point here, the last thing I want to draw out is trust the head coach. 
Good leaders are just participating with him. And so even if they screw up, that doesn't mean the head coach, the one who is over all of this, the one who is working together all things for the good of those who love him is not still working even in the midst of leadership failure. And we can trust him. And he's going to call us back towards good leadership. Good leadership is still going to be God's answer to leadership failure, but we can enter back into that because we trust him. We can trust that he is truly working together all things for our good. And he has been even before a leader who maybe we followed and loved and had grown from fell. So I hope that's helpful for you um, as you uh, as you think about what what is leadership, what should leadership look like, and what should I expect from my leaders at Rest City. And we want you to call us to that, uh, to, to what has been said today. We want you to hold us accountable to it. We think that's your job as we try to participate with God uh, in, in the growth and the conformity to the image of Christ that you and we are all called to.